today I want to talk about uh, riding the roller coaster concerning emotions. And this may be a little bit different that I talk about because um, emotions are real. Everybody deals with them. But I, in praying, and just seem good to talk about emotions. And there are, there's a lot to be said. And in life, emotions nowadays um, are just things you live with. Um, and if they get really bad, then what we'll do is we give you medication. Well, the cure for everything for a lot of people is just medication today. You know, just medicate. And, um, but is there a cure or a fix for people's emotions? Emotions can be extremely powerful. You with me? They can. They can be real powerful, and they can be different at different times. So I'm going to talk about emotions, and there are loads of scriptures that have to do with emotions. And you may find something out about emotions today uh, that you didn't know before. And actually, there is something you can do real practically to help fix and change your emotions and or at least get a better handle or go toward greater help in emotional stability, so to speak. Uh, here are some thoughts about emotions. Emotions are not to be a leader of your life. Let me say that again. Emotions are not to be a leader or something you follow in your life. And here's what you need to know, whether good or bad. You with me? Good or bad, they're not to lead you. Emotions can uh, follow things that are false, and we're going to talk about that. And so one thing you need to know uh, that we should not always follow emotions. Emotions are not always true. They're always telling us something, but it doesn't actually mean they're true. Um, but emotions are not a primary thing. They're a secondary thing. In other words, emotions are the byproduct of something like this. The byproduct of an engine is the exhaust that comes out of the car, right? And if you've ever driven by one of those trucks that's diesel, and they know you're right there, and they go, wah, you know what I'm talking about? And a big black cloud goes in front of you. And uh, they probably think, this is cool. I'm glad I've got a diesel. But that's a byproduct of them pushing hard on the gas right then. And the engine is producing something that goes out the back. So you would say that smoke is the byproduct of a process that's happening in the engine. And so here's some thoughts about emotions before we really get into this. So, for example, you know, people um, have felt blue or down, you know, they would call it and discouraged, uh, you know, because they heard this bad report. Anybody ever had a bad report come? And uh, you're like, oh, man, this is not good. And then you're kind of down or somebody's down about it, only to find out later that that report was not what it was. In other words, it came back that it wasn't as bad or at all what they thought. It was a mistake. <clears throat> and therefore, think about it, that emotional feeling or sense that you had was not even real. I mean, it was real to you, but it was not based on reality. 
Would you agree? I mean, if they made a mistake and, uh, you know, or somebody made a mistake and said, hey, you owe this great amount of money, and you're like, oh, I thought I was paying that off, and, and great. And you're just like, we're never going to pay this off. And then a week later, they call back and say, sorry, that was our fault. It was a clerical error. And think about it. For the whole week or whatever, you could have been focusing on that, and it wasn't even reality. And it was producing something inside of you. Most of us, or some people in here, probably the person next to you, knows this one. Not you, but the person next to you. That billboard, those billboards around town that tell you the lottery, gets up there $500 million, and you're like, I'm playing. And then you're not just playing, you have won. Right? Like, and you're just, you're high. Right? Are those emotions right? If you shake your head yes right now, then we need to talk because you didn't give a tithe <laughs> off what you won. Or at least it wasn't as big as you thought. But the issue is, those emotions are not correct, are they? I mean, if you did get it right, yeah. But otherwise, that tells us stuff about emotions right now that they are secondary at best, not primary in our life, and therefore they're controllable because they're a result of something. And so uh, these things that we're talking about, they tell us something about emotions, that they're not always based on reality. And it tells us emotions can be fueled and get greater or less. I mean, think about it. If they said, oh, you know, and read the numbers wrong on the lottery, you could think I missed it and you really won. And a couple days later, like, oh, we announced that wrong. And now you're up, but now your emotions are based on reality, right? And then another thing, number three here, all emotions are the byproduct of focus, whether right or wrong. That's important because then that means there is an element of choice in the whole thing. Um, it's also important, number four, to realize that there are times that people are led by these emotions because they can be real powerful. People can be led by emotions. Think about it. Driven to make decisions, driven to do certain things, that was based on a wrong focus, they make a wrong decision that later on they regret that. You with me? Nobody's ever done that before. And what it is is something is being fueled in them, and emotions are so powerful, they have like an internal driving mechanism in your life. You with me? I mean... Not in here, but who in life has been driven to murder somebody? I remember hearing a story about this young man who did something and murdered somebody because of something that he believed and was told that this person did against his sister only to come to find out later it wasn't that guy. And that emotion got so built up because he kept his focus on the wrong thing, which was not even based on reality, and he did something that cost him dearly later. So emotions 
are real powerful, and they are definitely connected to our focus, whether right or wrong. And then a fifth thing, emotions are secondary. What you're feeling right now, good or bad, it's secondary. Or indifferent, it is secondary to your focus. So let's look at some scriptures, and there's loads of them when you read through and recognize uh, how this works, that there was a lot of times there was things that happened in the Bible uh, that should have never happened, but people were driven by emotion. And so there's actually a warning in the New Testament about people who aspire to be in ministry and serve God, but it tells us something. If you'll turn there in 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, uh, we'll see a scripture here about uh, emotions and how that people who are put into certain areas to serve in the church should not be a novice or a new convert, is how some translations read. Notice this. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.6 says, not a novice, or like I said, some translations say, not a new convert. You know, new converts are called baby Christians in the Bible. And isn't it true that babies, when you're raising a kid, they have, uh, well, this may not be true today, but you deal with more emotions when they're little. And part of it is, to get them to learn crying and screaming is not the right approach to getting an answer. I think some parents skipped over that with this generation. So that if you cry, you just get it. And they think that works now that they're 21. But what it is, is they think if I just scream because they have these emotions of no comfort and stuff, they're just going to let it out and somebody's going to placate me and fix me. Well, here he said, don't put a new convert or a novice in this office, lest being puffed up with pride. In other words, he starts focusing on himself. And we could recognize right here that though he's talking about people entering into ministry, there is a danger of looking to yourself too much and thinking too much of yourself. Do you know the same thing happens with movie stars, politicians, the wealthy, big bosses? All of a sudden they start looking to themselves and they think, I'm beyond the law. I'm just so big and they start getting puffed up. You with me? So even though he's talking about people in ministry here and he said, less being puffed up with pride or self or self-focus, he falls into the same condemnation or the same trap the devil did. Well, what happens when you focus on the wrong thing? You get lifted up. I should be the boss. I should, and there are rightfully so people who should be the boss that are not the boss. But you don't get that position by exalting yourself. You with me? And so he's trying to tell you here that, listen, you could grow out of this and you can, because if you're not a novice, if you've grown, you can face these things in the future as you grow better and better. That's good to know. And it does take some growth and it does take some commitment and focus in order to do this. And so what I want to do is look at some varying 
stories in the Bible that talk to us and show us people who dealt with real emotions and whether they were based on reality or not. And most of us know this story in Numbers, the 13th chapter, if you'll go back to the Old Testament. Numbers, the 13th chapter, if you want your emotions fixed, there are answers right here. You know, I know people who don't know this, but they, you know, there's elements of people who go to bed who have nightmares every night, you know, or something like that. And uh, what they don't realize is those things are the byproduct of something else. I've dealt with people about this, and you can turn to Numbers 13, and, and one common denominator is right before they go to bed, and I don't care what the dream or the nightmares or the reoccurring thing is, th this is usually a common thread. They start fearing going to sleep. Why do they fear going to sleep? Because now they've got their focus on what's going to happen when they go to sleep, and they're, they're already allowing their emotions to get involved and push. Their focus is on that instead of resisting fear and quit focusing on every time I go to bed, start focusing on God is greater. I resist you, fear, because those things are the byproduct of something else. You with me? And I've dealt with people, and I'm not saying that's the cure-all, but there is an element of truth in there. And so Numbers, the 13th chapter, we're going to look in the 13th chapter, the first verse, we're going to talk about a story of God giving Israel the promised land. And we're going to see here how emotions, because of wrong focus and right focus, played into what occurred. Notice this in, in Numbers 13, verse 1, and it said, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Now Canaan, they're come out of Egypt. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. It's a great land. It's got everything they desire. They're no longer going to have to pump water. It comes out of the canyons, and they're going to be able just to direct it. The land is fertile, and it will produce greatly. And there's people there, and it's producing for them. But God said Look, this right here. He sent the people in, out of the land of Canaan to spy out the land of Canaan. Notice this phrase, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Which I am giving. This is important. So he said, send spies and uh, go check it out. I'm giving them this. And it says, then he describes, you know, from each of the tribes, you know, the uh, of their fathers. So in other words, there's 12 tribes, and so they're going to send these different spies into the land, and uh, they're going to go up and examine what, what's in this land. So it goes on to talk about these spies, how they go up to this land that God is giving them. And actually, if you read other places, God said it like this, I've already given you the land, go check it out. So it's not a matter of if he's giving it, He's given it. It's like, this is yours. It belongs to you. And then it says in verse 30, it says of the same chapter, it says, notice this, then Caleb quieted the people. Now, Caleb and Joshua were 
two of the 12 spies. And they quieted the people because what had happened was all of them came back and the first guy started sharing and they're like, oh my, this is not good. I mean, it's good, but there's giants there. And so in verse 30, it says, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Two spies come back and they're talking just like God told them. They're like, God's helping us. Let's go up and let's take this. But notice it said they quieted the people. Two of them were focusing on what God said. Now, there were giants in the land. But the issue was God knew there were giants there. And he said, I'm going to help you and you'll overcome all this. And what happened was these two spies said one thing. But then verse 31, it tells us, what the other spies said. But the men who had gone up with him or with them, because it was Caleb and Joshua, said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Notice one said, we're able, let's go. The other said, we're not able, let's not go. Somebody is telling the truth Somebody's telling a lie. How can we determine what is true? How can we determine which one? Is the crowd always right? If the crowd gets bigger and bigger for one thing, does it make them right? No. As a matter of fact, these 10 were not siding with what God said. They were totally focusing on the wrong thing. God said, you're able, go up at once and do this. They said, we're not able. Caleb and Joshua said, we're well able. And so it says in verse 31, we're not, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. Wow. God called what they said a bad report. He gave them a bad report of the land which they had spied out saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours the inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Now they went up and they're supposed to spy out the land to see what's in the land. And they're focusing on the problem or these big, these big dudes. And verse 33 said, There we saw the giants and the descendants of Anak uh, came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Notice it's all about me, not about God being on our side, not about what God said, just my own ability. And it says, and so we were in their sight. So we were in their sight. We were grasshoppers in our sight. And so we were in their sight. So they're totally, these last ten are coming to conclusions that are based on what they see of themselves 
And they believe that's what everybody else is thinking about them too. Uh, we're grasshoppers. We know it. And, and these people see us as grasshoppers. They know we're grasshoppers. We're just, they're going to squish us. And then it says, so all the congregation, the very next verse, so all the millions of people that are, are there that came out of Egypt, whether you believe it's two or three million depending, but so all the congregation lifted up their voice and they cried. And they people wept that night. And then it says they went to their own tent, but it says the children of Israel complained against Moses. Complaining, that's always an interesting thing. Why? Usually complaining is just like this, based on an improper focus. And it says they complained against Moses, they complained against Israel, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had uh, died in the land of Egypt. They were slaves. God brought them out. Their focus is so wrong. They think they're between a rock and a hard place. They got this report. Our guys that went to represent us, whatever political party they were from, went up and said, we're grasshoppers. And uh, they see us as grasshoppers. We're dead meat. And listen to what it did to all the people. They all started crying. I mean, could you imagine? Talk about a massive pity party. We're talking two million plus people crying. If you don't know, if you read on later, this is where Kleenex was invented. Okay, I, made, I added that up. I added that in. But they needed boxes of toilet paper and tissue. They're all crying sore to the point they're hurting, and now they're complaining. And they were complaining when they're in Egypt, and they're slaves. Now they're going, wish we would go back and die there. All because of this report that they gave. And what's interesting about the report, 40 years later, after all these die off and their children go up to possess the land, when they go in to possess it and they send only two spies, they got, it, they got better at this, sent two spies in, it's interesting what the people said. That they had been scared for 40 years waiting for them to come take over. Here they are totally saying these people are saying this about us, thinking this about us, we're grasshoppers, they think we're grasshoppers, they're giants, and it is totally misguided. Now their emotions are messed up. Has this ever happened to anybody? You know, I know dealing with youth for all those years, they're all talking about me over there. And they're all discouraged because three girls over there are in a group and they're like talking, blah, 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 and they don't even know what they're saying. And then they turn and they're laughing and that other girl happens to be in the eye range and she's like, oh, they're all talking about me. Come to find out, nobody's talking. But now she, because she's got a wrong perception, is totally cast down in herself. Nobody likes me. 
She's focusing on the wrong thing. And, and how many times does that happen at work? They're all laughing at me. No, they may not be. They could be, but they may not be. But how can you judge this without knowing? You know what's happening? Something's happening in your head. And you're focusing on the wrong thing. What if they are laughing at you and making fun of you? Should that change your day? No, but the chances are they probably aren't. Thank you for your excitement on this wonderful thing here. But what I find fascinating about these scriptures is God said, I'm giving it to you. Two of the guys said, cool, we could do this. And don't think that they didn't see the same giants, the same obstacles, but they did not choose to focus on the obstacles. They chose to focus on God. The ones who just chose to focus on the natural became discouraged, got a wrong view of themselves, a wrong view of how they thought others, and what does it matter what others think? And here they are crying, and their emotions are totally a wreck. Hallelujah. I knew you guys would be excited about this. How many of you have ever come to church and felt emotionally down? We started singing about halfway through the first song here. You're not really clapping. But your mouth is starting to move. About the third song, your hands are clapping, feeling pretty good. But I know there's a different dynamic, but you get your focus on the Lord. You start sensing God moving. You're like, woohoo, this is good. And your emotions start following your focus. And then you leave and you're like, I'll never be the same. Right? Because you're confident. I got a new focus. And many times we don't realize we cause our own problems by just focusing on certain things we don't always have control over. Other people, how they're going to treat you, how they're going to act. So where you do have control, put it there. Put it on the right thing. Notice this in John's Gospel, an interesting uh, scripture because do you think the disciples ever had emotions? Oh, yeah, they did. Uh, we can see it at different times. But this is an interesting verse. Uh, Thomas here is following the Lord. And uh, the Lord tells him, hey, we're going to go back through this city. And uh, Jesus has been delivered from horrible things, trying to throw him off of a cliff and wanting to stone him to death. And his disciples have watched all this. And uh, he said, let's go back through the city. And in verse 16 of the 11th chapter, it said, Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, these are the 12, they're talking behind Jesus' back. Yeah, let us go up that we all may die with him. These are these confident faith people. Jesus said, let's go back through the city. And they're all back in the back, and he's like, yeah, this is great. Let's all go die with him. They're not going to die. They didn't die. He's just focusing on bad reports and on wrong things. I want to look at at least two sets of scriptures, but one right here that I think will open up something in you to give you hope. 
especially in the, the emotional arena that we live in. Anybody ever had your emotions real high and then had them real down? And This right here to me is real fascinating. And like I said, there's loads of scriptures that talk about things like this. But in Acts the 27th chapter, um, Paul, who is you know one of the writers in the New Testament, a man greatly used by God, he told all these people, they, he was a prisoner on a ship, and he said, don't, we can't go. A storm's going to come. And uh, so he said, we're all going to die. None of them believed him. They were all hip, hip, hooray, let's go. They get in the boat. They take off. They start cruising along. And uh, he knows it's done for. But here these guys are thinking, hey, the weather's perfect, it's all working out just like we planned, and then it all changes on him, and it starts getting worse and worse and worse, just like Paul said. And we'll pick up the story in Acts 27, verse 20. It says, Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest uh, beat on us. In other words, this is a massive storm beating on this ship. And it says, and all hope or expectation that we should be saved was finally gone. Now, all the people in the boat that had hope no longer have hope. Their emotions are obliterated. How would it be to be on that? I mean, first day, second day, third day, no problem. We got this covered. Paul's already known, no, we don't have this covered. But they still are holding on to some emotional stability, some emotional hope, and uh, finally it got all knocked out of them. Look at verse 22. Uh, well, verse 21. But after long abstinence, or Paul was separated from food, then Paul stood uh, in the midst of them and said, Men... You should have listened to me. Don't you like those people? I told you so. He said, and should have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now notice this phrase. And now I urge you to take heart. A lot of translations say, be of good cheer. Okay, they finally are all got the hope knocked out of them. They, all the cheer is gone. You know, if you've got no hope, you're not like, woohoo. These guys got none of it. And here's this guy who said, you we're going to end up here, comes back on the scene in front of all of them and goes, hey, guys, be of good cheer. <laughs> they were probably thinking, you remember the story of Jonah? But they're like, man. But notice this. Be of good cheer. I urge you to take heart or be of good courage, be of good cheer, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me in the night an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you, so that means he's praying for him, 
and God has now answered his prayer, all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart or be of good courage, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Here's what I find interesting. Paul's all cheered up now. Now, he wasn't discouraged himself because there were times that people had stoned him to death and he was cool. He's like, I'm ready to die. I'll just go be with the Lord. But here he tells him, hey, guys, cheer up. You know what, I, what is fascinating about this? The circumstances really had already changed. You say, what do you mean? The people were still blue and all down, and Paul held this message until he could come give it to him. But basically, Paul already had a new course of, of results that are going to happen. We're not going to die. In other words, Paul didn't even have to tell them, and they wouldn't have died, right? Because it had changed. An angel came, spoke to Paul. Then there's a gap between when Paul went and told them. Well, when the angel came and talked to him, they, their emotions didn't change because they're still focusing on we're dead. We're done for. So this tells me now their emotions are wrong based on a reality that has changed that they don't even know about. Totally. And so he tells them, hey, guys, you can cheer up now. Because things have changed, but they don't know they've changed. So it's real interesting that emotionally they're still discouraged. And the thing, I mean, he didn't have to tell them. And he could have been singing the whole time, la, 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 and just laughing. Look at these guys, they're all discouraged. <laughs> and they're like, why aren't you discouraged? This is not funny. And finally he tells somebody, I'll just let you know, we're not going to die. The Lord actually told me that. And then one other person could have been encouraged, and the, rest, and they, the two of them would have been going, oh, watch, this is awesome. You understand that one by one, people could have been told, the God who told him we're going to die, as now he prayed to him, sent an angel, and half of them could have been encouraged by it, right? If the news would have got out to half, and the other half would have still been discouraged for no cause, for no reason. So that tells me emotions follow our focus, follow reality, or even sometimes false things, because now they're still believing we're dying, and it's already turned. Remember the captivity of Israel when they were walled in, and uh, there were some lepers outside the city, and they said, we're dying here. All the people are dying in the city. I mean, they're wanting to kill their kids and eat people. I mean, it's bad. And there's an army out there just starving them to death. And they're like, let's just go see these lepers. Let's just go out there and see if we can get food from them because we're just going to die anyway. So they go out there and that whole army had fleed. God had sent, you know, these noises, whatever, the people get all scared off, and the army bails all their food. Everything's there. The people are in the town. They're all thinking, we're dying. They're, let's kill our kids. Let's eat them. Let's do all this stuff. And the circumstances have already turned. They should have all been cheered up. 
And even a prophet told him, this will happen just like this. Things will change, and you'll see it to this one leader, uh, but you won't eat of it. And it's so wild because when the gates opened, he went out and saw that it was true. The people trampled him to death. But you think about it, how that those emotional things were not even based on reality. The circumstances are already turned. You know, sometimes when we pray and we don't always see the answer right away, people stay discouraged because they're living by what they see instead of by what they believe that they received when they prayed. And if you believe that you received, he said, you shall have it. Doesn't mean you'll just see it right then, always instantaneously. So you could be of cheer, good cheer, before you see the answer, knowing God has granted you what you asked. You with me? Emotions are a real interesting thing. And so you can see here that their emotions were a secondary thing because it had already turned. It had already gotten better. The answer had already come, and Paul had the answer. The angel had already appeared, and now he's trying to pump up their emotions. Hey, guys, be cheerful. But then he needed to give them a reason to be cheerful or get their emotions up. Because emotions are not a primary, they're a secondary. So he said, an angel has granted you guys to me. So he did say cheer up at first, but then he gave them a reason, uh, something to focus on so their emotions can follow. You need to understand God has given us his word but then he's also dealt with so many people about things that should give them courage about the future. You with me? I mean, it doesn't matter what happens. I mean, if a nuclear bomb hit Phoenix, we should all be of good cheer. I mean, if you're saved. Yeah, but what about my, what about my house? Um, you got your focus wrong. You got a mansion waiting you. But what about my car? Uh, you may not need it in heaven. I think you're focusing on the wrong thing. And this is why the disciples early on weren't, weren't bothered by being martyred. Because their focus was on the right thing. You with me? Let, let's finish up here in Hebrews, the 12th chapter. You still with me? Hebrews 12. Jesus had to deal with emotions. You know that? Emotions are real, and he showed us right here how to do it. He actually told us, this writer told us how he was able to make it through tough times and not be overrun by wrong emotions. You ready? Hebrews, the 12th chapter, it says this in the second verse. It says, Looking unto Jesus, or focusing, pondering, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher or developer of our faith. Who, in other words, you focus on him. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. How did Jesus endure the thing he was facing? How did he get beyond there? How did he do it with joy? It said because the joy that was set before him. Was the cross a joy? No, it was not. 
Notice this. Let's go back and look at this again. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The reason Jesus was able to endure this hard situation is he looked beyond that situation to a day when he would be seated when he would be exalted, when he would be raised from the dead, when the world that was bound in sin would be delivered. He looked beyond that, and it caused him to have great joy. Though we know he did not want to experience the death because he said, God, is there another way to do this? But the, the way he was able to face it is not just overly focused right there, but he focused on what was coming. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to live in heaven. I'm going to be joined back with my father. Uh, eternal life is going to be given to humanity through this act. So notice it says, he was able to endure, but how? Who for the joy that was set before him? He looked at the joy that was out beyond the cross. The seating in heaven, the lost lives being saved, people being heaven, people not having to go to hell. He looked at that, the authority of the enemy being broken. That was the joy he looked at, the end result that was beyond. And it said he was able to endure. He endured this. Notice verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners. In other words, consider how he did it. How did Jesus do it? How did he face that tough thing? And he looked beyond it to something bigger. We all have something bigger and greater. If you're saved, you have eternal life, you're at least going to heaven. But there are things that we should be looking to beyond the present circumstance if it's bad. You with me? Not ignoring it, but there are truths, there are realities, there are things that have been paid for. Why? Because our emotions get heavy and get connected. And notice what he said. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Notice, he said, if you focus on the wrong thing, even you can get discouraged in your own soul. In other words, we have to make sure we do what the Bible said. And what did the Bible say? Don't set your mind and make your primary focus on things on the earth, but on things that are above. If our primary focus is on problems and circumstances, then what will happen is discouragement will follow. That's why the Bible tells us, look beyond those things. You just have to ask yourself, have you made it this far? Are you still going right now? Then you've made it through a bunch of stuff that probably challenged you emotionally with lies because it tried to make you focus on something that you shouldn't have. And then you came through it and then your emotions went, huh, but you felt like a rag that had been wrung out. Nobody's ever been there. Okay, one person. Oh, two people. Well, that's good. You guys can talk to them after the service and they'll let you know what it was like. 
But I'm telling you, he gives us the solution is look to the good report. What did Paul say that changed the whole thing? He said, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe that it will be even as it was told me from the Lord. Here's the thing. There are other things that will tell you how it's going to be. You're, you're a grasshopper. They think you're a grasshopper, and they're giants. That's not listening and focusing to the Lord on what he said, how he said it. And so the key is, if you want your emotions to change, you have to change your focus. You with me? It's, it's how God created us. And that's why there's so many scriptures about don't worry, right, about money. Didn't it say that? All the world is focusing on this. Matthew 6, he said, but seek first or get your focus on the kingdom of God, and then all these things would be added unto you. But he said, if you want to solve worry, you got to solve the focus problem. Isn't that true? And, and again and again, you'll see through the Bible as you read, wait a minute, there is a lot of stuff that had to do with worry and fear. I mean, think about Moses. God brought the children of Israel out. He got focused on the wrong thing. You know, he started dealing with bad emotions. Should you bring us up to kill us and all this? And he said, Am I, can I bear this on my own? Can I carry this? wait a minute, that doesn't sound like, all right, God, and then lift up my rod and open the sea and cause manna to come down and hit a rock and speak to a rock and water comes out and there's fire over the top of us during the night and a glory cloud over us during the day. This doesn't sound like the same guy. What happened was he started focusing on the mass and he said, I can't do this. You're going to crush me. How can I bear this weight? God never asked him to bear the weight. He just got his focus wrong, and all of a sudden his emotions got wrong. That's why the Bible said, cast all your care upon him, because if it's on him, it's not on you, so you can just focus on him and on his ability. And then he said, then after the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Notice how your emotions get solved based on your focus. And I'm talking about as Christians. You with me?